Welcome to Grace and Glory Audio, featuring Pastor P.G. Matthew, Bible teacher and pastor of Grace Valley Christian Center, located in Davis, California. Today, Pastor Matthew will continue on in the Bible series from the book of Isaiah with this message entitled, God Alone Gives Solid Comfort. If you have your Bible with you, please turn to Isaiah chapter 40. Now here's our teacher, Pastor P.G. Matthew. Heavenly Father, we are nothing. All nations put together are nothing less than nothing before you. And yet, O oh God, you have chosen us to be your people. This amazes us. And yet, as your people, we have come into your presence. Speak to us, your servants do hear. Speak to us, your words of peace, words of hope, words of strength, words of healing, words of salvation, that your people may be blessed, built up in you. May your spirit empower me, and may your spirit rest on your people. Help me to declare and help your people to receive wonderful words of life. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God alone gives us solid comfort. You see, man tries to comfort us in our trouble. They come to us and say, everything is all right. Everything is all right. Don't worry about anything. But you see, such human comfort has no solid foundation. Such human comfort rests on nothing. But praise be to God. There is a God who comforts us. And his comfort rests on solid foundation. So we want to speak to you from Isaiah chapter 40. Last public ministry of Isaiah can be dated to be in 740. 1 BC, as Isaiah counseled and comforted Hezekiah and his people. Then he retired from public ministry, but continued to receive revelation from God, and which he wrote down in the second part of the book of Isaiah. Chapters 40 through 66. And it seems that Isaiah, according to tradition, was sown in two by the wicked king Manasseh. Probably this fact of the cruel death of Isaiah may be alluded to in Hebrews 11, 36 and 37. Chapters 1 through 39 dealt with Israel's sin and therefore God's judgment, which resulted in Judah's exile to Babylon, lastly and finally in 586 B.C. 
But chapters 40 through 66 deals with God's comforting of his people. It speaks about, firstly, their return from the exile, but also it speaks about the first coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and concludes by his second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember the glory of God departed from Jerusalem in 586 BC because of Judah's sin. Now, in chapter 40, for some unexplainable reason, the, God, the glory of God returns to his people to comfort them. So chapter 40 begins with God's urgent command to his messengers to comfort his people. Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, says your God. Notice the repetition. And that speaks about the urgency as well as the fullness of comfort that God's people are to receive. The 16th century Heidelberg Catechism begins by asking this most important question. What is your only comfort in life and death? And the answer is that I, with body and soul, both in life and death, am not my own but belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who with his precious blood has fully satisfied for all my sins and delivered me from all the power of the devil and so preserves me that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Yea, that all things must be subservient to my salvation. Wherefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready henceforth to live for him. God alone can bring comfort to the miserable sinners like us, as descendants of Adam. We are born sinners. We are born dying and to die. We practice sin daily. All our misery, in other words, is due to our rebellion and enmity against God. Wages of sin is death. Spiritual, physical, and eternal death. How then can hell-bound, miserable creatures be comforted? Who can comfort them? 
Isaiah's answer, only God can save them and God will save them. Let me ask you this morning, do you need this comfort? If so, he will comfort you this morning, not tomorrow, this morning. If you come to him needing that comfort from him. So we want to look at some solid basis of God's comfort. First, look at verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people. That is, my people are the object of God's comfort. So the first point is my people. God comforts his people. Though we are sinners, God calls us his people. This, you observe, is covenant language. I am your God and you are my people. We are his chosen people, chosen in his son. We are told before the foundation of the world. We are chosen, not because of any merit of our own. We are chosen because, for, because we are loved by God with an eternal, unfailing love. God, God chose us in Christ to redeem us. St. Paul says in his letter to Titus, To redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Because we are his covenant people, he comforts us. And let us praise our God that we are his people and he is determined To comfort us. So notice verse 2. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. In Hebrew, speak to the heart of Jerusalem. He speaks to our heart as a mother speaks to her crying child. And the words of the mother goes into the heart of the child and makes him strong and stops his crying. God, through his prophets, ministers God's love to our hearts. And so we are comforted by his everlasting gospel. We are to comfort God's people also. How? By proclaiming The good news. Let me tell you, comfort comes through proclamation of the gospel, which says God saves sinners through Jesus Christ. Number two, solid basis for our comfort. We read in chapter 40, verse 2, Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her, that her hard service has been completed. In other words, 
God says, your suffering is finished. Your misery is finished. Your hard service is finished. What he means by this is, God punished his people for their sins. God told them in Leviticus chapter 26, what he would do when his own people turn against him and rebel against him. He is going to punish them with sudden terror, wasting diseases, fever, defeat, famine, wild animals, death by sword, plagues, and finally being thrown out of the land into exile. So, God's people experienced all these chastisements in their history as we read. But now suddenly, God says their misery is over. God's people's misery ended. Suffering is finished, completed. Their hard service has come to an end. God is not angry anymore with his people. Her chastisement is over. That's pretty solid basis for comfort. Let's praise it. And the third solid basis is again given in chapter 40, verse 2, that her sin has been paid for. This is a very comforting word indeed. Are we to understand that the people paid for their sins by their sufferings, particularly and especially by the 70-year exile to Babylon? Is this verse teaching us that we can save ourselves? Is it teaching us that we can atone our own sins? It is not teaching that. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6. He was profoundly affected by his own sin when he saw the glory of God and he cried out, Woe unto me, I am undone. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Now the question is, how did he receive complete forgiveness of his sins? Well, we are told in verse 6 and 7, Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar, With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Well, that tells you that you cannot atone your own sins. No, not at all. There has to be an altar. There has to be a sufficient sacrifice for our sins and on that basis your sin is paid for and you are forgiven your guilt is removed and you turn with me to the 43rd chapter 
of Isaiah. And verse 25, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. You see, it is God who pays for our sins. God alone blots out our guilt once and for all. For his own sake. Not because of any merit on our part. And so, then why is he saying that your sin has been paid for? And he's saying that in view of what we will be told in the 53rd chapter. Now let me read from verse 5 and 6. But he was pierced. Somebody was pierced. He is the suffering servant. Now we know him as the Lord Jesus Christ. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now this is a very comforting word indeed. It gives us a solid basis. What is it? Your sin has been paid for. God alone pays for all our sins. And he does though the moment you trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation, he forgives your past sins and present sins and your future sins. Your guilt is removed from you. You are clean, justified and clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ alone. Let me tell you, brothers and sisters, no family can comfort us. Especially at the hour of your death, they cannot comfort you. Your doctor cannot comfort you. They always say nice things. Your estate cannot comfort you. Your power, your position, your country, nobody can comfort you. Your stupid philosophy cannot comfort you when you die. God alone comforts us. In life and in death. By forgiving all our sins through Jesus Christ. Who is and who alone our propitiation. Number four. Solid basis for our comfort. Is the sudden revelation of the glory of the Lord. Verse five. Glory departed from Jerusalem long ago. In 586 BC because of Judah's sin. The temple itself was destroyed by the Babylonians. But now we are told glory is coming back. God is coming back to his people to comfort them. To comfort those who are weak. 
to comfort those who mourn, to comfort those who are poor in spirit, those who repent of their sins, to comfort those who prepare the way for the Lord. So we are told here, in verse 3 of Isaiah 40, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. He is coming. And nobody can prevent his coming. His coming is triumphant and irresistible. And yet, he is saying, prepare the way for the Lord. And from the New Testament, we learn what does this preparation involve. It involves repentance. Isn't that true? Humility, confession, as the ministry of John the Baptist tells us. So prepare the way for the Lord means receive the king in his triumphal procession. Receive the coming Lord with humble hearts. The truth is no obstacle will stand in his way. He is coming. It is certain that when he comes, every valley shall be raised up and every mountain made low. Nothing can block his coming. His coming is irresistible, and yet we must prepare the way of the Lord in humility. In other words, we must repent and believe to receive this glorious God who is coming. When God comes in glory, it says all mankind shall see him. Now how can this be? No man can see God in his glory and live. But the glory of God will come to us in such a way people can see him and live. He comes veiled in human flesh. We are told in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And the word was God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And then John says, we beheld his glory. And his coming is going to be seen by all people. How does that happen? Through the proclamation of the gospel. All the people of the world will see him. Jesus said, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. People saw him. People touched him. People ate with him. People crucified him. They saw him raised from the dead. He came to comfort the sinners by giving his life a ransom for many. He came in the fullness of time, born of a woman, Virgin Mary, born under the law, that he may fulfill the law positively and negatively to redeem us from the curse of the law, that the blessings of Abraham may come to us. That's solid comfort. Number five, look at verse six and through eight. Solid comfort we receive from the fact that the word of God is eternal. Verse six, a voice cry out and I said, what shall I cry? All men are like grass. And now verse eight, but the word of our God stands forever. 
You see, men cannot comfort us because they are grass. They are flesh. They are grass. Turn with me to what Moses himself is saying concerning man in 90th Psalm, verse 5 and 6. He says, you sweep men away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. Though in the morning it springs up new, by evening it is dry and withered. You see, man is grass. They are inconsequential characterized by transiency, fragility, mortality. They are like grass in Israel in the month of May. When the wind known as Hamsin or Sirocco from the east, from the desert, blows upon the grass. This wind is dry and dusty and it blows continuously. The grass and its flowers are destroyed in less than 48 hours. The grass withers and the flower falls. How can then mortal man comfort anyone? He is grass. He is nothing. His glory is nothing. His promise is nothing. But we have a solid basis for comfort. We can trust God. We can trust God's word. His word endures forever. Remember the statement of Balaam in Numbers 23. God is not a man that he should lie. Nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? I have trusted in human words. And they disappointed me. And I have made up my mind. Don't rest on human words. But rest upon God's solid promise. Eternal, everlasting word. The word that endures forever will bear you up in life and in death. By his word he created the world. And his word shall not return to him void. His word accomplishes his will. Jesus said in Mark 13, heaven and earth will pass away. But my words will never pass away. St. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians, for no matter how many promises God has made, and he has made many, 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 many promises. As you read the Holy Scriptures, you discover them. Many, many, many promises God has made for his people. So no matter how many promises God has made, they all are yes in Christ. Yes. Let's turn to First Peter chapter 1. And here Peter is making a reference to Isaiah 40. Let me read from 
verse 23 through the end of the chapter. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are grass, and all the glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. In other words, now we have solid comfort. And what is that solid comfort? The very word of God, the gospel. Remember, in chapter 7 of Isaiah, Isaiah comes to Ahaz, an unbelieving king, son of David. And he told them, I know you are in deep misery, and your knees are knocking like the leaves of a tree in a storm. But I have answer for you. I have word of God for you. And that word is, don't worry. What you fear is not going to happen. And you know what he did? He refused to believe. And so he says this in Isaiah 7 and verse 9. The head of Ephraim is Samaria. And the head of Samaria is only Ramalaya's son. If you do not stand firm, that is, if you do not believe in the word, you will not stand at all. And he chose not to believe. And he continued to experience misery and discomfort. And he brought misery to the kingdom of Judah from that point on. But... The Hezekiah, chapter 37 of Isaiah, God brings word. You see, the city is besieged by Sennacherib, the great Assyrian king. And Hezekiah is troubled. Everybody is troubled. And Hezekiah sends the message to Isaiah the prophet. Please pray to God. We are without comfort. We are miserable. And so, God gave this eternal word, Isaiah 37, verse 5 through 7. When King Hezekiah's officials came to Isaiah, Isaiah said to them, Tell your master, this is the gospel, God's eternal word. This is what the Lord says, Do not be afraid of what you have heard, those words with which the underlings of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Listen, I am going to put a spirit in him, so that when he hears a certain report, he will return to his own country, and there I will have him cut down with the sword. This time, the son of David, Hezekiah, believed, and they were saved, they were comforted. You see, that is the word of God is. And it is the word of God that is coming to you this morning. That God will save you. That God will help you. That God will comfort you. That God will strengthen you. The man who insists that he is not grass. But he is permanent. That he is somebody. He becomes nothing. 
But if he confesses, he is nothing. The word of God confers upon him permanence, significance, glory, and immortality. Prepare the way of the Lord. How do you do it? By humility. Have mercy upon me, a sinner. He is comforted. Number six, look at verse 9 and 10 of chapter 40. You who bring good tidings to Zion, go up on a high mountain. Lift up your voice with a shout. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. And so on. In other words, your comfort is... Resting upon a solid basis. What is it? Behold your God. We have solid comfort. Not when we focus our attention on ourselves. Talking about self-esteem. Truth is, we feel most miserable when we look at ourselves and look into ourselves. We are scared of our troubles which we have deep within. Because the Bible says, every inclination of the thoughts of man's heart is only evil all the time. And if we look around and see others, and if we begin to believe them, (laughs) we'll be depressed. He says, I love you. Well, maybe he's saying the right thing. But the next moment he keels over. What is all that promise? He said he loves you. It means nothing. And the worst man, he says he loves you to take advantage of you. That's what man is. So what should we do? We look up. We must look above. We must look to God for solid comfort. Isaiah says God is coming. He is coming to comfort man. His messengers are to proclaim from a high place this good news so that many people can hear it. God has seen our misery, our afflictions, our troubles. And he is coming down to comfort us, to redeem us. And so messengers climb up the mountain, preach boldly, clearly, intelligently, authoritatively. And then you ask the question, what is the message? The message is what? Here is your God. Your God. Here is the revelation of reality. Reality is God. Who is independent, free, most holy, most wise, omnipotent, omniscient, all compassionate God. 45th chapter and verse 22 says, Look to me and be saved, for I am God and there is no other. Look to him, believe in him, come to him, fix your eyes on Jesus alone. We are told here he is the sovereign Lord. Sovereign means everything else is subjected to him and he rules all things. And he is the Lord of history. There is nobody above him. All things have been subjected to him. He is the Lord of history. He is creator God. This chapter tells us he is the redeemer God. 
And he alone is mighty to save. One who is able to deal with the devil and sin and death. And every enemy, we need a mighty savior. And, and a mighty savior is coming and has come. And we are told his arm rules for him. His arm defeated Pharaoh and delivered his people long ago. Turn with me to the book of Exodus chapter 15. And there we get a description of God. Verse 3, the Lord is a warrior. The Lord is a warrior. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has hurled into the sea. Verse 6, your right hand, O Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shattered the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you threw down those who opposed you. Mighty God. 52nd chapter of Isaiah, verse 10 says, The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all nations, and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of the Lord. And this chapter, beginning with verse 17, it says, Take a look at it, it's amazing. Before him all the nations are nothing. That's nothing. I don't think God will experience shock and awe <laughs> by our might and by our power. But we will experience truly shock and awe when he begins to act. Before him all nations are as nothing. And then the Holy Spirit says, wait a minute, I have something more to say. What is it? They are regarded by him as worthless and what? Less than nothing. So, let me tell you for your comfort, behold your God. Behold your King. 52nd chapter tells us how beautiful are the feet of those who proclaim good news. Saying what? Our God reigns. Behold your God, behold your King. Our God reigns. Behold your Savior. Behold your Comforter. And then it says, read it, His reward is with Him. Now you ask the question, what is His reward? His reward, let me tell you, is His people. We are the riches of His glorious inheritance, says St. Paul. We are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Bought with a price, not silver or gold, but his own precious blood. We belong to him, that's his reward. We are his people, we are his bride, we are his reward. And so he came down to comfort us miserable sinners. He came to redeem us by his life and death and resurrection. Number seven, good reason, good, solid basis for your comfort. It's not the word of your husband, nor the word of your wife, nor the word of your boss. I cannot promise you anything. But look, the seventh reason is God is our shepherd. And we read this in chapter 40 and verse 11. 
He tends his flock like a shepherd. We have a solid basis for comfort. This God is our good shepherd. He is greater than David in his shepherding care of his people. You know what David did to Uriah, his own friend. He was not a good shepherd. He killed the sheep. But we have one who is greater than David. His name is Jesus. And he said, I lay down my life for my sheep. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And take a look at that verse 11. He feeds his flock. He tends, he takes care of. He feeds his flock through his ministers. Jesus told St. Peter in 21st chapter of John, Feed my lambs. Means the newborn ones. Then he said, take care of my sheep. Paul exhorted the elders of Ephesus, keep watch over your souls and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Let me tell you, you want comfort? Let me tell you today to every one of you, the Lord cares for all his flock. He feeds them. He gathers the lambs, the newborn ones, the weakest and the most dependent in his arms. Now, take a look at it. With his arms, he rules. With his arms, he defeats his enemies. But with his arms, also, he cares for his people. Oh, it is wonderful to be in his arms. It is mighty arm that saves us. Yet with his arms he gathers his lambs and carries them close to his bosom, experiencing great intimacy of divine love that must comfort the miserable people like us. Oh, what a tender loving care for us. But what about the sheep that is pregnant? (laughs) Take a look at it. He will not drive. He gently leads them. His shepherding is full of comfort for all sorts of his flock. The Lord is my shepherd and we shall lack nothing. John Calvin said, God is the sum of all happiness for his people. God is our comfort. God is our only comfort in life and in death. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. The Bible says he is the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles. The Father of our Lord Jesus sent us the Comforter, his Holy Spirit, to be with us forever. It is God the Father who planned our salvation. It is God the Son who by his death accomplished redemption for us. Now, 
the Holy Spirit has been sent. And he has come to apply that redemption, that comfort to every elect people of God. Therefore, we are comforted now and will be comforted forevermore. Neither death, nor life, nor anything else in all creation is able to separate us from this everlasting comfort of God's love in Jesus Christ. We are told we are held by his arms close to his bosom. No one can snatch us out of his hand. We are eternally secure. Turn with me to Isaiah 12, where this idea of comfort is intimated first. In that day you will say. Now my question to you is, did that come, did that day come for you? It came for me. It came for many of you. In that day you will say. And I hope this day will be your day. When you will say. And what is it you are going to say? I will praise you, O Lord. Although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away. Uh, This is mysterious. This is inexplicable. How did that happen? He's angry, but all of a sudden anger turned away. Did he get angry for no reason? Or did some act in time and history, removed the wrath and the anger of God? The answer is yes. And you will read about him in 53rd chapter. Someone interposed. Someone came between God and me. He died. The anger of God was turned upon him that it may never come upon us. And so we are singing. The day has come. The day of our salvation. Although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away and you have comforted me. Can you say that? Can you say that you have comforted me? If you cannot, you can do it today. By preparing your heart, repent and believe on the Lord Jesus. Surely God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. The Lord, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation all the days of your life. Angry God for the right reason. But anger is turned away from me to his own son. And now this God is propitious to us, gracious to us. He saves us. He loves us. He comforts us. He heals us. He guides us. He picks us up in his arms and holds us close to his bosom. Comfort. Think about the comfort of forgiveness. Comfort of justification. Comfort of adoption. Comfort of glorification. Comfort of eternal fellowship with God. He blesses us and keeps us. He makes his face shine upon us. He is gracious to us. He has turned his face surprisingly not away from us. 
toward us and has given us shalom, peace, salvation, comfort. Let me ask you the question, are you without comfort? And let me tell you, God desires to comfort his people. Your hard service is over. Your sin has been paid for. Behold your God. Behold your King. Behold your Savior. Behold Jesus Christ who died and rose again. Believe on him and you shall be saved forever. He brought comfort to the blind, to the deaf, to the lepers, to the sick, to the demonized, to the dead. But especially he brings comfort to those who are dead in their sins. He comforts. He alone comforts. Let me read to you the end of this chapter. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is everlasting God, creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. And his understanding no one can fathom. Now comes, he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. In other words, he comforts us miserable people. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. And they will walk and not faint. Let's look to God in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for comforting us through Jesus Christ who died in our place and for our sins. He experienced the wrath and the anger of God against us. And now, O oh God, the Father, you smile at us. You love us. You comfort us. You save us. You instruct us. You keep us in life and in death. We are yours. Hallelujah. We pray for those who have not trusted in you. Have mercy upon them. Enable them, O Lord, to humble themselves and trust in you that they may receive the everlasting comfort of the gospel. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to Grace and Glory Audio, presenting this message from the Bible series on the book of Isaiah. Come back soon for more Bible teaching from Pastor P.G. Matthew.